Hey, welcome to the fall. Summer is gone. Sorry to say, I love the summer from the south, but hey, I love the fall too because it means that pumpkin spice lattes are back. No matter what you think about that, it's Starbucks. So if you are a guest, thank you so much for being with us uh, again today. Uh, we're starting a fall series that we're calling We Are Redemption, really looking at who we are as a church and how that pours out into everything that we do and, and how we do it. So it's a great day to be with us. As I was thinking about even today and getting together and starting the fall off, it was almost two years ago that we met in this very room for our very first interest gathering. And we first started talking about uh, our mission, which is enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. And that this would be more than just a nice, clean line that we put up on a webpage or on Facebook, that, but that this would be something that we actually passionately live out in everything that we do. That we don't just talk about it, that we don't just um, bring it up every once in a while and say, yeah, that's a really good tagline, but that, that would be really our heart and soul as a church, that we would be embodied by that. And over the past couple years, we've seen really God work in our midst, and I jotted down a few because I was trying to think about all these this week. We've seen um, God grow us as a church and stretch us, whether that's through our life groups that continue to grow um, and meet throughout Seattle and up north, places and spaces for people to be known and to be vulnerable. I've seen hospitality and sacrifice from so many of you. I've seen generosity as we've helped support another church plan, as we've helped support uh, Missionary Nora with OM, um, as you've given coats to children in foster care, baby carriers to refugees, money to help buy furniture with rest, as you've purchased first aid kits and sent those right up the street to Aurora Commons. I've seen over a dozen babies um, born and dedicated and about the same number of couples married and that's been amazing to see. I've seen men and women being discipled and discipling one another. I've seen people come to church for the first time and others come back to church after a long time not being in church. I've watched you care for one another, love one another. I've watched you shoulder each other's pain and rejoice with one another. And through great times and through challenging times, I've seen God's grace poured out on this church over and over and over again. Even in, even in the very basic sense that we're meeting in here today, this morning. This is not a building that we should be able to meet in. We had our interest gathering here, but they only allowed us to meet for two weeks, and then we had to find a space, and we went walking door to door throughout Green Lake saying, hey, do you have any space that we could meet? We know you don't know us. We know this is kind of weird, but we'd really like to have a church uh, here if we can. Uh, we even went down to Green Lake uh, Community Center and knocked on their doors, and it was, there, was a, there was a big open space, but here was the deal. It totally smelled like chlorine, and we thought that nobody would come because it was just gross. But through God's providence and through his movement and through his amazing timing, we're able to meet in this building on a Sunday morning in a building that we should absolutely not even be able to afford. It should actually cost about twice as much as we, as we pay for it, and we're able to be here in the community of Green Lake, the most highly trafficked park in all of Seattle. There's a run going on today, and literally thousands of people are here in this community, and it's a great, amazing place for us to be able to meet, and that's God's grace upon us. And so for all of that, we celebrate really what God has done in us, what he's done through us, and what he's done around us. And I was thinking about, when I was thinking about that, I also remembered that about five years ago, before that first interest gathering, when we were still living in South Carolina before we moved up to Seattle, Laura and I took a little uh, three-day trip up into the mountains to this place called Banner Elk in North Carolina. And I thought it would be awesome just to stay in that cabin for like three days, but here's the deal. It was a smaller cabin, and so after about a day, we had to go figure out something to do, somewhere to go. And so we went for a little trip 
it was daytime. We went down the mountain. We went to this little, um, this little city. We ate dinner there, and then we started to head back. But as we headed back, I thought we were going the right way. I really, really believed that in my heart. But then somehow we ended up on this road, and I was like, I don't remember taking this road down. And so then I started taking other roads, and I started taking other turns until we ended up in places where I was just like, I think we might get shot here, like seriously. And Laura was pretty scared, and here's the deal. I was freaked out of my mind, but I was like, it's going to be fine. It's no big deal. I was like, oh, inside I was like, this is a huge deal. I don't know if we're going to make it out of here tonight because we're riding along on this really narrow road, and we could literally drive off the side at, at any time, and um, almost did, had to back up out of a private drive. Anyway, all that being set aside, here's what I was thinking about. All it really took for that to happen was just one small wrong turn onto one road, and then we just got completely sideways. And as we, as we start this series today, and as we look at who we are as a church, I think one of my biggest fears for us as is, is a church, and even a younger church, not quite yet two years old, is that, is that we would have good intentions, and maybe we've even started in the right place, but maybe we even just take a one turn, or one or two small turns in kind of the wrong direction, and we end up being something, being somebody that, that we were never supposed to be. We've had several vision series over the past two years, but we've never spent as much focused time as we're going to spend over the next six weeks looking intentionally and focusing on who we are as a church, and more than that, who God says we are as a church and who he wants us to be, to passionately pursue and join Jesus, loving people, making disciples. And it starts today with our foundation, which is the gospel, the good news of redemption, because we are good news people. And so if you've got a Bible, you can open up to 1 Corinthians 15. If you, if you don't, we're going to have it up here on the screen as well. There's also some red Bibles in the pews that you can pick up. And it's a great passage. Paul is speaking to this church, Corinth, and he has started to correct some of the things that they are doing, that they've become about, that they were not supposed to become about, the things that they are focusing on that should not be their focus. And I think this is just a great loving, caring, even warning for Jesus' church. But an encouraging warning to say, hey, here's who you are. Here's who I've made you to be. Would you hold on to this? So we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1, and we're just going to look at a few verses. My prayer is that this would sink deeply into who we are as a church and a people. It starts off in verse 1. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers. Huge word there, remind. Paul is talking to a church, as I said, that started off really strong, but then they somehow got a little bit sideways, and he's reminding them, because we need reminders, because we forget. We often need to be filled up again and again and reminded of who we are, reminded of what God has done. I drive this Acura SUV, and ever since I bought it, it has a leaky power steering. And so I just, I don't want to fix it because it costs like $1,500. So I just buy like $4 bottles of power steering fluid every couple of weeks. I know, it's sad. And I just keep filling it up. If I don't, eventually all that stuff just leaks out and this thing becomes dried up and it no longer functions for the purpose that it was intended to. And so Paul, he's coming to the church and he's saying, let me remind you, brothers, as those who I love, let me remind you. What's he reminding them of? He says, let me remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. I think this is huge. I think there can be this false idea, especially if we're not intentional about it, that really what Christianity looks like is we get Jesus, and that's awesome, but then we get busy and we just move on from Jesus. Like getting Jesus is just the start. 
I don't know if you watched the Olympics, but I did. I watched a lot of the Olympics, probably more than I should. But I really love watching uh, some of the track and field. Here's what I've never seen in watching the Olympics ever since I was a little kid. I've never seen a runner get on the starting block, take off, and intentionally just stop and look around and, and walk in another direction. I've never seen that. I've never witnessed that. Because here's the deal. A race is not just the starting block. It's the beginning. It's the journey through the middle. And it's all the way to the end. And so even as we think about the gospel, and Paul says, let me remind you of the gospel which you received, which I preached to you, in which you stand. This is current language. He's not saying in which you stood, in which you once stood, but now you've moved on from. He says, no, 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 this is in, in which you stand. He says this in verse 2, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul is just saying, man, this is your hope. This is your salvation. For us as a church, the gospel is, is our hope. The gospel is our salvation. The next thing Paul says, even in here, can really be seen even more as a question than a statement when he says, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul's really essentially asking this church, are you holding fast to the word that I preached? Are you holding fast to the gospel? Do you really believe or was it in vain? Do you really believe or have you just moved on? Is this where you're standing? Because it's far too tempting. It's far too tempting. It's far too easy for for a church like ours to start on a foundation of the gospel and then move off to something else. Whether that's we start on the foundation of the gospel and then we really become more about maybe even a cause. And maybe it's a good cause, but it becomes the thing. Or maybe we start on the foundation of the gospel and then we become all about just getting bigger. Let's grow, let's grow, let's grow. And now, now we become known by that and that's really our foundation. If we aren't growing, then all of a sudden, man, we're, we're looking around and we're freaking out. Or maybe it's we started on the gospel as a foundation and then really what we've moved toward is that the city would absolutely love us, adore us, accept us, which I'll tell you is going on all around Seattle. And here's the deal. I want the city to like us. I, I'm, I'm not against that, but I'd much rather tell the city and proclaim truth to the city and what they need than to give them even maybe what they want. And so we can easily do that, or we could become about a ministry and really not the ministry of the gospel. It's so easy and it's so tempting. And that's even what this church in Corinth has done, and that's absolutely what we could become about here at Redemption. We're not immune to this. That's why Paul comes along this side of this church, and he says, let me reaffirm your foundation. He says in verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul's saying, hey, listen up, this is critically important. When he says first importance, it means, hey, hear this. Don't forget this. Don't look past this. Here's what he says. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I don't know if you know the origin of the gospel, the word gospel, but it actually doesn't start within the Bible. It starts before that. You can trace it back to 9 BC and Augustus, that a king is born and then a kingdom is expanded. The whole idea of the gospel is good news. That's why I'm saying we're good news people. And where this word really comes from is that this king is, is born and then is, is soldiers and as the army is sent out into different areas that have not yet been acquired, as they would conquer that area, they would report back and say, these people who were not with us now are with us. And this would be good news that would be celebrated throughout the kingdom, that it was expanding. And that's where we get gospel, the gospel of Jesus. That's the beautiful thing that a people who were at one time, we were, we were separated from God, now have entered into the family of God. And it's to be celebrated because it's great news. 
This is the gospel, that Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The fact that Jesus came for us, died for our sins, overcame sin and death three days later, it's good news. It's great news. It's amazing news. And you've probably heard the saying, hey, before there's good news, there has to be bad news. And here's the deal. I get the point of that completely. But there's a lot of good news in the gospel. It starts with good news. Let me, let me just trace this. In the garden, the gospel doesn't start with this bad news, bum out. It starts with a good God who says, I want to create. And he creates everything, humanity included. And he says, this is good. And then we, not he, decide to rebel against God. But because he is so good, he orchestrates a good plan of redemption. And so the whole idea that the gospel starts with this bad news, bum out thing, it's like, no, 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 actually three quarters of that is really awesome, amazing news. And it ends really amazing for those who are in Christ, for those who receive his grace. We're a good news people because the gospel is good news. That God would take the hand of the orphan and he would lead them home. That he would take the lost by the hand and he would lead them back. I love how Paul does this. He also stressed that this is fact, not fiction. Do you see this phrase? He says it twice, which means that it matters. He says, in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures. Here's what Paul's saying here is, hey, this, this whole deal about Jesus coming to earth and him living a perfect life and him going to the cross and him coming back from the dead and overcoming sin and death, it's not just a theory. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just another story about another Roman God. This is grounded in historic history. It's an historic event In accordance with the scriptures, God so loved the world that he gave Jesus to us. And this was his plan, and he has enacted this, and it's a good plan of redemption. It's truth. It's fact. It's something that we can absolutely stand on and stay rooted in. And so, as a church, we don't just start here, we stay here. The gospel is our foundation. At redemption, the gospel is our foundation. And it's also our celebration. If we go further down in this passage, it's really beautiful. Paul ends with this. Look at these verses. In 56, he says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us victory. We were absolutely hopeless. That's what Paul's saying. We were hopeless. We were essentially on death row for eternity. But God saw it so fit to see in Jesus that he would die in our place, that we would be given a new lease on life, that we would be given brand new life. And so we rejoice in that. We celebrate in that. That's why he says, thanks be to God who gives us victory, that it's only through Jesus. And this is why it's so critical that even as a gospel church that we would come around one another and remind one another of this truth. Because other lies are going to come in. Lies are going to come in that say you're not good enough. You've messed up too much. You should go and hide when you sin. Lies are going to come in that says you can't be really loved or accepted You can't be really known. You shouldn't be vulnerable. Community is not for you. You should feel shame. And all of these lies are going to come in. And that's when we as brothers and sisters need to come around each other and say, that's absolutely a lie. Let me tell you the truth of the gospel. Let me tell you the truth of a God who loves you so much that he laid down his life for you. You have freedom. You've been liberated. You're no longer in bondage to sin. That's the good news. And that's what it means to even be a good news people, that we would be about that. That we wouldn't just let brothers and sisters wander out on an island that seems hopeless, but we would come around and we would remind one another of the truth. And we would joyfully celebrate it. Joyfully. I know, right? Here in Seattle, joy. It's like, "Mm, I don't know about that. 
Seems kind of weird. It's like, yeah, it is a little bit weird. But here's what I know. We celebrate a lot of things. A lot of us are going to celebrate the Seahawks today, myself included. And we lift our hands, and we lift our voice, and we get crazy, and we run around the room, and we shout, and we celebrate. But oftentimes when it comes to church or when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to Christianity, it's like, eh, that's, I don't know about that. Sounds a little bit weird. It's like, no, 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 this is great news. This is the best news. This should be joyfully celebrated. And here's the thing. You say, well, does that mean that like when we face hard times or when I face heartache or something's difficult that, you know, you should just, you should just push it to the side when it comes? Absolutely not. That's not the point here because I know that there are difficulties. But what it means is that as a good news people, even when these times come, which inevitably they will, they have, we've been stretched as a church, you'll be stretched individually, that we believe in what God has done and we know where to stand through the trials and where to point others to the same. That in the good, in the challenging, in the devastating, we don't offer one another ten principles to a better tomorrow because those ten principles are going to fall flat and they're really not going to hold us up. When we have doubts, we go to the good news that we have a patient father and loving helper. When expectations don't become a reality, we go to the good news that Jesus wants to take our burden. When your marriage struggles, you don't run to self-help and white-knuckling, but to the good news that through Jesus, there's forgiveness, grace, and the opportunity for restoration. When we hurt one another, we don't seek vengeance, but we remember the good news that when we hurt God, he forgave us and offered us new life. When we sin and feel shame, we remember the good news that Jesus cast our sin as far as the east is from the west, that it's cast into the bottom of the sea. And even when it feels like everything is falling down around us and we feel like throwing in the towel, we believe in the good news that a good God has a good plan and is going to keep that plan. He's not going to vacate that plan regardless of what we do because his love endures through our darkest days and offers us the living hope in the presence of the light, our King Jesus. It doesn't mean that we avoid our emotions. It doesn't mean that we avoid difficulty. It doesn't mean that we act like that's not real. What it means is that when those things happen, we look to God who remains and who is good, and we remember the gospel. We remember this is our hope. This is why we exist, to enjoy Jesus, to love people, to make disciples, as you'll hear over and over and over again, a redemption, because God found joy in creating us, that he loved us enough to send his son for us, and now he calls us his disciples, his children. And so we exist for this purpose, in this place, in this time. And if this reality, if it doesn't produce a joyful people, then something's, something's wrong. If our resting posture is kind of like this bummed out, looking at the floor, arms crossed, disinterested, just like, ah, whatever. Yeah, good news. Man, it's so, it's so good. Let me tell you about the glories of Jesus. I mean, come on. I'll tell you what that's, not what, that's not what our friends in Green Lake are looking for. You know what they're looking for? You know what our communities are looking for? They are looking for good news. A lot of times searching for it in the wrong places. But they're looking for a good news people that actually believe in the good news that they claim and live it out. Not just, not just bummed out, heads down, but joyful looking up to our Savior.
proclaiming him, saying, even when everything falls apart, I've still got Jesus. Even when everything goes south, the Holy Spirit's still leading me and guiding me, and he's in me. Even when everybody else abandons me, I know that I still have a father who loves me, and I'm no longer orphaned. This is good news. This is what our city needs. This is what we should proclaim as a church. This is what we should be about. This has to be our foundation. Otherwise, I don't know why we're here. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the news that is going out. This is the news that Paul is saying, hold on to this. Stand firm in this. This is your hope. This is your hope. But I think for many of us, myself included, and as a church, there will always be a temptation for the gospel, which we once saw as beautiful, to become too familiar, to be taken for granted, or to not be celebrated. It's kind of like if you worked in the Louvre, and you walked by the Mona Lisa every day, and you suddenly just never saw it really as beautiful anymore because it became so familiar. May that not be who we are as a church. May we always see Jesus as beautiful. And I think the reason that that can happen is because we're deceived by false gospels. We believe that other things are just as equal as Jesus and the cross and salvation and, and, and all of that. And we put them up right beside him. The false gospel of career, the false gospel of bigger and better, the false gospel of a bankroll, the false gospel of my marriage is going to save me, the false gospel of if I just date someone, it's going to save me, the false gospel of this, that, and the other. As soon as we start putting those up on the equal level as Christ and the cross and the gospel, all of a sudden Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, they don't look quite as beautiful to us. And it's so easy to shift away. And it's so easy to become about something else. This is what really happens in Corinthians. That's why Paul is reminding them of this. But may it not happen here. May we be, as it says here in this verse, thankful and joyful. Because this is what our community around us needs. This is what they need. This is what we need. In 58 it ends, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I watched a documentary last week on a really famous um, electronic dance. <laughs> that already sounds weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> how about I just say a DJ? A uh, really famous, well-known DJ, throws crazy concerts, mixes. His name's Steve Aoki, really well-known, does a ton of stuff with other artists. And, uh, and the reason that I even watched this documentary is because the title really, it said, I'll sleep when I'm dead. That's the title of the documentary. Totally worth watching. Here's what struck me, though, as I was watching this. The amazing thing is that this guy is so crazy driven. It actually showed his schedule, which was nuts. The dude flies like three or four times a day to different places to do hour-and-a-half-long shows, blows them out, sleeps whenever he can, get up the next day, record more music. He owns all these crazy things. He's running a, um, a label. He's doing all this music. And, and it's like, man, dude, you are nuts. Like, why are you doing all this? What's the motivation behind it? And really the documentary, even more so than, than what he does and what he's about is the motivation. And everything that he does ends up going back to wanting to please his father. He even says that. This is my drive. And because that's his main motivation, it absolutely affects how he does everything. I mean, he has a few friends in, in the documentary, and even his girlfriend's just like, yeah, he doesn't really spend too much time on, like, personal relationships. He doesn't really have that many friends because his motivation is not that. His motivation is not have community, all of this. His motivation is, man, he really wants to live up to his father's expectations. And so he's running as hard as he can, as hard as he can. If the gospel is our foundation, it's absolutely, it has to be our motivation. 
and our motivation, we're all going to have one. As a church, we'll have a motivation, and it will seep into and it affects the how of everything that we do. From serving, if our motivation is something other than gospel, I don't know, it's going to become a little bit weird. When our motivation is the good news of Jesus, and that's motivating us, that's going to come through really clearly. But everybody's got a motivation, and we as a church, our motivation really needs to be grounded in this gospel. Our foundation is it, and our motivation needs to be it, because it directly affects how we do. Really view it like this. View the gospel. If you think about your house, think about a living room. The gospel is really our living room, and it encompasses everything else that's inside of it. The sofa, other chairs, tables, but the gospel is the living room. And for us, that has to be true as a church. That, that that's our foundation. And then that affects everything that we do and how we do it. How we make disciples, how we love people, how we enjoy Jesus. But it has to remain in the gospel. It has to remain in the gospel. Because if we become disengaged, if we become unknown, if we become highly critical, if we become suspicious, if we become cold as a people, that's a clear sign that we have the wrong motivation. If our idea of church becomes more of a weekend hobby than a devoted community, our motivation's off. If we find ourselves begrudgingly serving or wanting to be served more than serve others, we have the wrong motivation. We have a misunderstanding of the gospel. Or we just started there and we walked away from it. I love what Paul says here. He says, your labor is not in vain. That your labor would not be in vain. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Our labor is only in vain if our motivation is something other than the gospel. Otherwise, we can live this out. Um, as I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking about this message, and had a lot of thoughts. Uh, there's one thing that I really don't like. There's one thing I actually really, I just really hate, and you probably do too, is, is when you are... Um, when you're, when you're being sold something that turns out not to be as it was advertised, right? Um, this happened to me a few weeks ago. I saw this sofa, because so we were looking for a sofa, on Craigslist, because um, I don't buy new. Um, and I saw this sofa on Craigslist, and it looked amazing. It looked awesome, and it was right up the street. And so I drove there, and when I got there, um, man, this sofa didn't look so amazing, didn't look so awesome. It had some stuff up with it, but pictures were doctored and all that good stuff. And it really was frustrating because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't how it was advertised. It wasn't how it was advertised. So let me just say this, especially as we get into this series today, and especially as some of you are new to redemption or you're just checking out redemption, I want to make a few things incredibly clear because I, I think that it's good to know, and I don't want you to feel deceived. So let me just say this. At Redemption, we're not, we're not striving to be the, the coolest church on the block. That's, that's not our motivation. And I love that that's not what Paul's even exhorting this church in. He doesn't say, hey, be the biggest, be the flashiest, have a hundred ministries, and man, have a sick bankroll. What does Paul say here? He says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord as you stand firm in the gospel. And so if you're looking for the biggest, the baddest, all those things, that's just not what we're even seeking to be as a church. That's not our measuring stick. But if you're looking for a people, for a church where you can be known, that's going to hold tightly to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and they'll 
although imperfectly, strive to live it out in everything we do with vulnerability, with grace, with joy, with love, and with hope, whether that's serving, whether that's being in community, whether that's through worship, whether that's with our neighbors, whether that's as the church gathers or the church scatters, then, then roll with us. Because that's what we're going to be about. The gospel of Jesus must infect and affect everything we do and how we do it as a church and how we do it as a people. It has to be the blood that runs through redemption's veins that allows everything else to function and function in a way that's glorifying to God. Not to self, not to me, not to anybody else, but that points to a great God, to a great Father, to a great Savior, to a great Helper. That's the type of church that we want to be, that we would put everything that we have into relationships with one another, our relationship with God, that we would be about really enjoying Jesus, getting to know him more, loving people, sacrificing for one another, serving one another, getting to really know one another, not just the how are you doing, but how are you really doing, and crying with one another, celebrating with one another. And then we would see disciples made because I believe that authenticity is absolutely attractive. But I'll tell you what's not as is, is a show. Because everybody else will outdo us in that. And that's not what we were ever supposed to be about. And so that's not what we will be. This has to be the blood running through us. The good news of the gospel. And so this is who we are as a church This is our foundation. This is our celebration. This is our motivation because the gospel of Jesus is our hope. This is at the heart of redemption. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at how this works itself into how we live and breathe as a church. And no matter where God takes us and no matter how he stretches us, how he grows us, may we always stand firm in the gospel and always see day after day the good news of Jesus is amazingly beautiful, wonderful, and worth celebrating. As a church, redemption, we are good news people, and may that never change.